Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast. My name is David Massover. I'll be your host today. And we are joined by one of the most colorful guys I've ever met on LinkedIn, Zach Selch. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, David. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. We're very happy to have you. You are currently working as the VP of Global Sales at PharmaJet. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and about your role there? Yeah, so PharmaJet is a company that makes tools for mass vaccination. So if you can imagine um, the state of Pakistan or the state of Nigeria wants to vaccinate a couple of million kids very quickly, we make tools that facilitate the workflow and the safety and the economy of that. And most of my customers right now with this particular job are governments in developing countries. So we're aiming for essentially low GDP, high population countries. That, that's really our target. And I got pulled into it. I was, I've been selling medical equipment for about 30 years. And I was selling something that was typically sold to uh, high-end hospitals before, and it made the patients stay a little bit more comfortable. And PharmaJet reached out to me and I thought, well, this is cool. I could actually help somebody with this product. So there you go. Right. The end user was a little bit different on this job. Exactly. It wasn't, you know, rich people having a marginally more comfortable hospital stay. It was, you know, kids who really needed to avoid, say, polio, right? So there you go. Well, you know, tomato, tomato, they're pretty much the same, right? Exactly. Well, <laughs> and, and you know how it is. You sell, and again, I've sold a lot of different things. And I'm typically, you know, it's not like I feel bad about what I saw. I, I was very happy. I, with my last job, I really loved it and I did a lot. But in the end, I was looking at this, I was like, wow, this is the first time I really could sell something that I know could really improve the lives of, of millions of people. That was sort of a cool perk, right? Yeah, it's got to be a great feeling. You, you've been in sales for, for a long time now, is that right? Yeah, yeah really as, a, as an adult, just over 30 years. You're a couple of years ahead of me. That's where the white beard comes in, right? <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good look for you, Zach. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I see it goes way back into the 90s. There's probably even a couple of jobs that aren't on there. And pretty much every job, it's Israel, India, South Africa, Spain, Colombia, Australia. I'm sure a lot of places I'm not listing. How is it that your experience is so international? Was that a choice or did you yeah, just kind of fall into it that way? Definitely a choice. I like to say that, you know, when I was a little boy, I wasn't a, into Spider-Man or, or uh, a Batman. I used to watch like Johnny Quest and Commander McBrag, you know, the cartoons about people who traveled around. And as a, you know, I remember as a five or six or eight year old boy, I wanted to travel and I lived, it was just as likely that I was going to pull webs out of my butt and swing building to building that I was going to uh, to travel around the world at that point. So I was sort of looking, trying to figure out how I could do this. So it was really a conscious decision. I decided that I wanted to get into international sales. And I did plan out my 20s. So again, if you take a look at my profile, 
one thing that I did that was pretty unusual is I did four horizontal movements during my 20s. Typically, what you do is you'd be the sales manager for Poland or for Mexico, and then you'd go on to be the regional sales manager for Latin America or for Eastern Europe and so on. And uh, what I did was I was actually, I spent time in Africa, I spent time in Eastern Europe, I spent time in Asia, I spent time in Latin America with the idea that if I did that, by the time I was in my 40s, I would be a really good candidate for being the head of sales because I would have, I'd be the only guy on the team who had experience in multiple markets. So it was a very well plotted out course in my 20s. And did it work out the way you had imagined? I mean, did you get what you were after? It did. It, you know, it worked out the way I wanted. It didn't, you know, I guess nothing is ever exactly the way you plan it out, but it worked out by the time I was 30, I was a director with a Fortune 1000 company in charge of South Asia, which really was, you know, my goal. And then by the time I was 35, I was the VP of, of, of sales for, for a company. So I guess it worked out. I think, what do they say? It's like nobody ever is on their deathbed and says, oh my God, I didn't make VP. This is horrible, right? I got what I wanted out of it. And then I guess you make readjustments and say, huh, maybe now I should spend a little bit more time with my family. Maybe now I should. It's a good question. I'm not sure you want to go there, but I also, in my, my uh, 20s and my early 30s, I really killed my health because I was working so hard, right? So when I was in about 40, I readjusted and said I should really take better care of my health, right? So yeah, but I got, I got what I want, you know, what I was thinking about at 22, I got by the time I was 35. And yeah, it worked out. The plotting of the pathway worked out perfectly, yeah. So I've been in sales a long time myself. I don't know that I've ever met anyone who was so intentional about bringing an international dimension to their work. So I'm going to ask a question that's just way too general and, and borderline stupid, but just after all that experience, what do you, with all that experience, think it is that makes selling in an international setting so much different than selling in your own home country? Well, that's a great question. So there are two ways of answering that. One is there are technical issues. So, so I always say to people, if I am selling you a widget in New Jersey, it is really clear when ownership passes over, how you're going to pay me. All those issues are pretty much even unspoken, right? There are methods to pay there. You know, you, you take possession of the widget, we're done, right? And that's pretty much it. When we're selling internationally, who owns it at what stage? Do you own it from landing bay of my factory? Do you take possession when it gets on the ship? Do you take possession when it enters your facility in your home market? Now, how do we pay, right? How do I make sure I get paid and how do you make sure you receive the goods? So there are multiple complications from a technical background, you know, just in terms of the mechanics of international trade. And then there are things like, well, how do I find my customers? You know, if I'm domestic, I know how I'm going to find my customers, those type of things. There's a whole different element of this, which are the cultural bits where you say, okay, so what's involved in sales? You have to establish rapport. You have to help the customer internalize that you can solve their problem. And you have to be able to do discovery, right? 
And those things all have cultural aspects. You think about it, you know, you've, you've been around the world. So there are cultures where if you, you know, if you're an American, you can go into somebody and you can say, hey, I'm your Microsoft account manager. And I would like you to tell me about all the problems your business has. And very often in America, the guy will say, oh, well, that's a perfectly reasonable request. Sure, you're from Microsoft. Ah, okay. And they will open up. Now, in 80% of the world, if you say that to people, they're going to say, well, who the hell are you? I don't know you. You're asking me these very personal questions about my business. Why should I talk to you, right? And the fact that you're their account manager for Microsoft doesn't do any good, right? You have to develop a relationship before they will talk to you. And that developing relationship is going to be different in Hungary and Saudi Arabia and Brazil and Japan, right? Each place developing a relationship. Now, you can't just say, okay, so yes, that's the way it is. So I'm going to spend the next six years developing a relationship with this one customer in Japan. You have to figure out, well, how can I expedite this? Is there a way I can scale up developing relationships? And that's part part of my job. On the flip side of that, there's also, well, how do they internalize information? And people internalize information differently. We don't get that. Typically, as Americans, you say, well, everybody, people are the same. But as a, a very basic example, the way education is structured in most of Europe, customers expect the order of a presentation deck to be different than they do in America, right? And that's that's a really a weird thing for us to think about. But if you use a typical American presentation deck in France, you're going to piss people off, right? Because the structure of how we lay out our statements is the opposite way that a French person would do it, right? So little things like that. And those are all the part, you know, that's part of my job is when you're managing people who are selling in 60 countries, you got to understand all those different elements. As you know, you and I have spoken offline about this. I came, I grew up in America, selling in America, and then I moved to Hungary and did a lot of selling in the region starting about 15 years ago in the mid-noughties, you know, in 2005. And yeah, it's funny because that problem thing really came up quickly. I was so used to walking into people's office and saying, so let's talk about your problems. And the response was, you know, who the heck are you to ask me about my problems? And how would you presume I have any in the first place? So it was a real, you know, splash of cold water that like some of the things are the same. You know, you have to add value and identify the problem and decision maker. But man, if you get that cultural stuff wrong, you just go nowhere fast. That's the other part of it, which is funny, is the core. If you know how to sell, the structure is the same. What's really different are are the cultural issues. How do you establish rapport? And how do you help the customer internalize are both cultural issues, but the core structure. And and you get a lot of people who will tell you, no, no, the whole thing is totally different. It's magic. Let me handle it. The core, the skeleton of the sales process is the same everywhere in the world. It's those cultural issues that, that are different and you have to understand how to work around them. Yeah. And your answer is really interesting because I think when people when people think about international sales, they often gravitate to the culture part. But the technical part is also really fascinating and can really be a problem. As I said, I'm in Hungary. I have a Hungarian business. My wife happens to be a tax attorney here. And when I tell her about this exciting new thing that I'm working on, 
the things that she is concerned about are, are just not where I would have gone first. When exactly is the date of service delivery? I'm like, well, why does that matter? Well, you know what? Here it does. And you yeah. have to be sensitive to those things because they just have different levels of importance in different places. Exactly. And everybody I know, I think, I think we were talking about this recently, but everybody I know is screwed up on this. And this is, can be the difference between the profitability and having a losing deal. You know, you sort of shake hands and you say, yeah, you know, but you haven't closed these deals. And then you realize you're paying 12% on shipping, but you thought he was paying, but you're paying. And boom, you go, wow, that, that was my profit right there, yeah. right? You know, that we forgot to of, talk about that, right? We forgot to talk about, <laughs> about Oops. that. Oops. Every time I work with a new company or I talk to a company, I say, your shipping guy should go to a workshop on international sales paperwork. And the shipping guy always says, you know, Zach, I've been doing this for 20 years. I know what I'm doing. I'm like, you could ship a thousand times to Cleveland. It doesn't help you understand how to ship to Budapest. Why don't you go, you know, take this, you know, one day $500 workshop. And I'm not selling the workshop. I'm just saying you should do it. And they're like, no, I'm good. And then two years later, they always make a mistake. And sometimes those mistakes, I, I've seen shipping mistakes that have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And it happens. Anyway, that's, that's one of those things that happens with companies getting into international sales. Or they take a lot of time because you didn't fill out right. your papers right, or you, know, you didn't label something right, or you didn't send it the right way. And all right. of a sudden, this deal that has a timing element to it is stuck somewhere, and you don't know how to unstick it. Right. Well, and I've seen stuff like that. Like I've seen, you know, I, I was involved in a deal a couple of years ago where there was this woman in the Ministry of Health, a big com- country, and she was retiring. And she was like, I'd like as my legacy to add this product in the Ministry of Health. But if, you know, we, we need it in the next, you know, 90 days. And the company screwed up the shipment. And the woman's like, I'm retiring. If it gets here after I retire, I don't need it. I'm not paying for it out of my budget. I'm canceling the order. So, you know, those type of things happen. And that was, that was a couple hundred K worth of deal for a small company. These things can be really paid. You know, the, the, these details of shipping and payments and internet, the mechanics of international sales can be extremely painful when you screw them up. Now, last year, you gave a lecture at MIT about how to build an international sales organization. And I think, you know, you can come up with a hundred like crazy stories and examples because it's, it's really rich for that. But when someone comes to you and just wants some general advice, I mean, how do you get someone started on the right foot when the question is, I want to go international, how should I think about that so I don't fall into the kind of traps that so many have? It becomes extremely complicated, but it's also extremely simple. It's basically like if you do this with intent and you consider it a business question that you have to solve, that's pretty much all you got to do almost. And, and, and why do I say that? And that sounds way too simple. But if you take a look on LinkedIn or if you take a look and you take a look at international sales managers or heads of international sales of companies, 90% of them don't have any relevant experience before that for, for international sales, right? And, and I don't, don't mean to disrespect anybody, but what typically happens is people fall into this by accident or the, or the CEO says, well, you know, my brother-in-law spent junior year abroad. I've heard this dozens of times. You talk to somebody, they say, oh, we're covered. 
My partner's wife is Vietnamese, so we understand the international, and, and he has a really good understanding of international culture, right? So it'll be okay. And then what happens is you get into this, and people make very silly choices. And, and I always laugh about this, and, and this is the type of thing I talk about when I lecture, is I say, you know, if the board sat down and said, we have to ramp up production, it is vital to the, to the growth of our company to double our production. And somebody said, yeah, I have this great idea. This friend of mine from high school was really good at shop and his father is an engineer. We should make him the vice president of our, of our manufacturing facility. And that never happens. But that happens with sales all the time, all the time. And then what happens is you get the guy in, you get somebody in who doesn't quite understand this. There's nobody to coach him. There's nobody to help him. And then the next mistake people make, which again is tied to intent, is you take a look at companies that are expanding internationally and say, well, what are the first three company, countries you go into? And they say, uh, you know, the normal France, Italy, and Japan, right? And you say, okay, there is not a product in the world where the three best markets for them are going to be France, Italy, and Japan, right? You are choosing those countries because you want to travel to France, Italy, and Japan. Typically, you're selling a widget and the, the best country for that widget is going to be someplace unromantic. It's going to be, you know, Poland. It's going to be Nigeria. It's going to be Pakistan, right? So if you take a look and you say, well, how do I find the right market? And you do it with intent and you do it in the same way you would take any other business decision, you're going to be successful. And you got to go through the whole thing like that. And every time say, Am I doing this because I think it would be really cool to take my wife to Paris? Or am I doing this because this is the right business decision? And if you do that, you're going to be successful. My life has been built around going into companies where they say, oh boy, you know, Zach, I don't know that we can sell our product. We've been trying to sell internationally for 30 years and it hasn't been successful. We've never been successful. You're our last, you're sort of a wild card. We're going to try with you. And then we raise sales three, 4,000%. And they're like, I don't understand it. And I go, I do. I made rational decisions and you were doing stupid stuff, right? You know, so of course sales grow. Anyway, yeah. So it sounds like it's tricky because a lot of the mistakes people are running into falls into the don't know what you don't know category. I assume that it's going to be easy. I assume it's going to be this way. I assume. So... It leads me to another thought that I had in, in watching you on LinkedIn where I first ran into you. You post a lot of content about your international experiences. And I love it because very few people do. What I'm wondering is because the subject is so much of a don't know what you don't know kind of a thing, right. what's been the response to your content, your internationally flavored content on LinkedIn? A lot of people, again, I have a little bit of a a small core cult following of people who are in this, right? And they understand a lot of people, you know, don't get it. And it, it's never going to be, you know, one of my 13-year-old daughters has like 20,000 followers on TikTok. And I'm never going to get that, I don't think, right? But the people who do, you know, I get a lot of people reaching out and saying, wow, you know, this is, can I ask you another, a follow-up question from this, uh, from this video? Can I ask you this? So it is a niche type of thing. But what I'm trying to do is really address, and you know how it is with LinkedIn content. You can't go really in depth, right? So I'm saying, okay, this is a question about distributor agreements. This is a question about 
finding a regional sales manager. This is a question about how to set up your trade show booth, those type of things. You know, how do you address this? How do you change this? It, it, it's changing a thousand little things. It's not you go in and you change one thing, but it all comes down to if you think it through, like, you know, a trade show booth isn't about aesthetics. It isn't the colors your wife likes, right? A trade show booth has to be designed to do the business that you need to do. So if you think it through, if you think, well, what am I going to do at the trade show booth? You know, let me design it around that. You're going to be successful, but, but it comes down to that. But to your question, I get a fair amount of interest from people in my specific niche and for most people, they're like, ooh, look, a guy in a suit on a monkey, on, a, on, a, on an elephant. That's cool, you know? So it's something for everybody. And some people just find it entertaining. Some people find it informative, right? I find it both. So I think it's cool. Now, but you've, I appreciate you've, that. You've started something called Global Sales Mentor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So again, I think... There's a huge return on investment for people trying to grow internationally. The best way to increase the value of your manufacturing company is to build up an international footprint. It's a great way to drive revenue, right? There are really good reasons to go internationally, and it's much harder than most people think. And there are dozens of people out there who will help you. And typically, they typically don't have an actual, per, what I call a purchase order background, right? They're not people who are in the business. They are academics. They are um, ex-diplomats, that kind of thing. And they'll say, well, yeah, if you want to get into Hungary, I will help you and, and, and so on. And they'll take your money to do a specific job. And I thought, well, I don't want to be in the give you a fish business. I want to be in the teaching you to fish business. So, and, and I don't think there's anybody else in that niche. I, I looked around. I know what's going on in the market. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to coach and train people to make them better international sales managers. Now, I do do for you services. So if you come to me and you say, well, Zach, I don't have time, but I need a network set up in South America. Or I need a network set up in Africa. I'll do it for you. But what I'd rather do is coach you so that you can do it yourself. And then you're independent, right? You know, if I can help you out. Now, the return on investment on that is huge because let's say it takes you five years to, you know, you're, you're a $50 million domestic company. You want to get 20% uh, sales internationally. So you're, you're, you're looking at a fair amount of revenue coming in internationally once you get it going. If it takes you 10 years to get it going, or if I can help you get it there in 18 months, the return on investment for anything you pay me is, is, is fantastic, right? So that's what I do. It sounds like there are probably some people who, if they're listening to this and if they meet that criteria, they would want to find you as soon as humanly possible. What's the best way for someone to do that, Zach? So I have a website. It's globalsalesmentor.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Zach Selch on LinkedIn. You can find my YouTube channel. I have lots and lots of cool content, which is Zach Selch. It's a YouTube slash C slash Zach Selch. So there are different ways of finding me. But my website is globalsalesmentor.com. Zach, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you very much for sharing your time and your insights with oh, us today. Thanks a lot for having me, David. This has been a blast. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. 
If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.